use full contact cannabis. Howdy folks, this is Harold Jarbo, AKA the old hemp farmer. And I'm sitting down with Mark Stepp of Uppercut Media and Abby McCullough of Tennessee Homegrown. And our guest once again is Kristen Nichols of the Hemp Industry Daily. Howdy. Hi, thanks for having me. Since the six months or seven months that we've spoken, there's been a lot going on. Oh, yeah. Is any particular place you'd like to start? Sure. I want to start talking about a um, couple weeks when these hemp rules take effect uh, officially. I wonder, you know, a lot of the folks were hoping that maybe with the new administration, USDA would put the brakes on, maybe take a look at these. Others said, you know what, they've already looked at this three times. Let's just get going. I want to know what you guys think. Are you just ready for them to take effect or? Well, there's one thing about having the rules. It's another thing having the uh, departments of agriculture Mm. actually have the money and the mountain power to implement. Because here in dear old Tennessee, we're sticking on what we had. We are not Mm -hmm. changing until the following year. And the main reason has been the unless the legislature puts in more money that just on the testing alone is going to be mm-hmm. a problem. Mm-hmm. This year they're going to have to third party test, which means the cost of those tests will have gone up. And then are they going to hire at least 30 more agents? Because with the way the rules are, if they test everything and everybody, we had 2000 farmers last year. A lot of them grow, grew two or three different crops, types of crops. So yeah. now we're talking about 6,000 crops that all within about a five or six week period are going to all have mm-hmm. to be. And logistically, it's just not going to happen. There just doesn't seem to be too much energy going in and implementing these things. I mean, the, it took so long that everybody's just kind of went doing their own thing. And unless, what is the mechanism for the USDA to come in and, and clamp down on it? If mm-hmm. people don't do it, there, there really isn't. It's not like, okay, the USDA can stop giving them money because almost all your agricultural departments across the country are, they're dying. That, you know, the farming has died, the whole COVID thing. So they're, they're revenue stuff been joking uh i think it's connecticut i'm gonna embarrass myself i think some states like connect you know a state has the right if they want to write their own oversee hemp themselves but they don't have to they can say you do it usda and we've been joking why why it's surprising that more states didn't say all right usda come come do it you know (laughs) you figure out what to charge folks and how to get it done of course they'll come back to the states and say you need to send your extension agents but at the same time i can see why states like connecticut think Hawaii is also under state, it's just shows, Sandra Federal, like, uh, your problem, not ours, you know. And it's all boils back to money. Oh, sure. So, Absolutely. I was gonna uh, say the states probably get that money um, if they chose to regulate it versus the USDA, which if, you know, you have the resources. That's a Maybe, yeah. Well, the, the whole, the, the thing about it is that nowhere is, does the hemp programs break even. Yeah. When now in Tennessee, I may have spoke too soon because they just got so daggone much revenue the last couple of years just by the sheer amount of, of people who got licenses. Once again, Tennessee has licensed more people in the last two years, and it looks like it'll be the same thing this year. 
So, you know, $250 a pop, a few thousand, it does bring in some money, but it eats it up real quick. Once you, yeah. they started, they tried to do their own protocol for lab. And I don't think that went real well. Yeah. The sweet spot, of course, is someone that buys a license and never grows, <laughs> which was probably you would expect more commonly happened in the first year, maybe first two at this point, you're probably going to, if you're paying for a license, you're probably going to grow. Not just, yeah. like, I might try it. We have, what do you want to call them? Pro amateurs or uh-huh. whatever. They're basically hobbyists that mm-hmm. are growing. Sure. And because it is so easy to do. It's so uh, cool. <laughs> it is well, so cool. <laughs> was it was it you, Abby, told me there was a neighbor or something that was growing hemp in their backyard? I knew so many people that had wow. like yeah. that were just wanting to grow in their backyard. I mean, when it's 250 bucks, like, yeah. So that's why there was so many licenses issued in the first two years, because everybody thought it was cool slash, you know, mm-hmm. to try it because they could. And then a bunch of people are still falling with the siren song that once med med hits, I'll be able to get into the, you know, that mm-hmm. whole thing, which God, how long have we been listening to that? <laughs> I, was uh, I, I would say at this point, most people are going to skip the med thing and go right to rec. Yeah. Well, the licensing's the, the big deal on that. Is it, you know, big deal between hemp or even med and rec. They don't hand out rec licenses. It's usually a hefty tag and a boatload of compliance. Sure. We're seeing that really play out in California where there's this huge um, loggerheads between a, a very try, a trying to emerge hemp industry and established THC cannabis producers that are like, what are you talking? Like they want to be treated like potato farmers and the longtime MJ and THC guys are like, are you kidding me? You have any idea the kind of hoops we have to jump through? Who are you? Like, welcome to it, <laughs> you know? Yeah. It makes very, sense. Yeah, it's not the same game. Yeah, agreed. Very much so in California, for sure. When does, uh, where does QAnon play into all this? <laughs> That's a fabulous question. I think Jarbo would have a great answer for that. No, no, I, I really don't. I still don't quite understand, you know, it's beyond my ability to understand yeah. conspiracies once they get so deep. I know. Going back to though to California, that in California, there's actually been a few counties that have banned outdoor hemp grows. Yep, Humboldt just did. Famous yeah. Humboldt. I think Mendocino did. Mm-hmm. So, which is the interesting thing about this whole industry is, is that for the longest we've tried to have two tribes. There was the THC world and then there was the hemp world and never should they meet. Mm -hmm. And as we're getting into the whole cannabis business, I think we're starting to realize those arbitrary, because they were arbitrary designations, this is this, they're totally foolish. And it's like one of the things that's going on here in Tennessee. We have, now that we have Delta 8, and I think when we first talked in July, Delta 8 was this sort of like, okay, is this for grill? Does it have legs? Whatever. Mm -hmm. Well, we have found out it's a juggernaut. We are actually at Tennessee Homegrown losing our CBD cells to our D8 cells. We are cannibalizing our own cells and it's happening to a lot of companies. You think it's a a fluky trend? Tell me where where you make a uh, D8 
All right, well, Rudolph, right off the, after you have hundreds and hundreds of customers, and we have, we have been selling it now from, I've, and the other thing which was kind of different, we're selling our DA in direct states. We actually, a lady from California who, I don't know if it was the gummies or the chocolate or whatever, she said it was the best cannabis experience she ever had. And she was someone who'd been doing Delta 9 for like mm -hmm. 20 years. And I think, not to be too simplistic, it's the cannabinoid for its time. Because what we had, we've had this for years with our customers. Do you got anything stronger? And it wasn't real, real strong, but it was a little stronger. Something that took the edge off the day a little bit more. Had, we we're finding out the D8 has analgesic properties. That at first D8 was dominated by people who were trying to do it more for rec. Yeah. Well, thing found it more and more people started taking it. Fibromyalgia, back pain, also anxiety. It seems to be do a little bit better job of, of against anxiety. So now then CBD or then then Delta Nine, you mean? No, oh, oh CBD, and it beats flat out because this is the one thing. Yeah. You could do a fair amount to take the edge off. And then like D9, they don't get anxious. Interesting. I feel like it's a blend between both. Mama bear of cannabinoids. <laughs> Is it hard to make though? Well, yeah, no, not, <laughs> I mean, hold it. All right. If you don't have any laboratory skills, yes. Yeah. But if you have any sort of rudimentary organic chemistry, like me and Lee and I, because that's what we did. What we, when this all turned out, when we started making it, we just Googled it and Dr. Raphael Meshalam, his whole gang from Israel, published this daggone paper in 2004 or five that basically nobody paid any attention to because like, why in the heck would you want to take CBD and turn it into THC if you got THC? Yeah. This whole market, the D8, was two things. One is the customer driven because customers really like it. But then it became economically feasible because if you have a huge amount of low cost CBD, it then becomes economically feasible to do a couple more procedures to end up with D8. So it's a good use for right excess. Tanker trucks full of distillate. Yes. Yeah. And, and then the whole thing, which I'll have to admit, in the history of Tennessee Homegrown, Twice now, we have been blindsided. We did not see smokable flour. Never, I didn't either. <laughs> <laughs> never saw the people, you want to smoke hemp flour. Okay. And then the D8. And it was, yeah. it was Abby who came in and, and who had was out trying to sell our products to, to a, what, which one was it? Marley's or? Um, it was Smoke Token in Nashville and I'd come in um and seeing this sign and it was real sketchy looking like clearly written in by hand <laughs> and it said it's a delta 8 thc and i was like what the hell yeah. thc am i reading that right and um i asked the guy that was working behind the counter because the sign wasn't very large either mind you maybe like the size of you know a good big hand um <laughs> And I was like, what is Delta 8 THC? And the, the guy kind of whispered and he was like, THC, like it'll get you high. And I was like, uh, is that legal? 
And he's like, yeah, technically, because, uh, you know, there's only limits on Delta 9. Delta 8 is a, a new product and we're, you know, we're giving it a shot. And I was like, well, hell yeah. Okay, buying one, one. And then I went hardcore on the internet basically came to our next meeting and was like, look, I don't know what this is, but we got to get on it. It, because it was one of those things, like it's going to have a demand for it. Like the, the highest. Just because of the, just because it's in a gray area legally, or like uh, Harold said, it's, it's got a different effect a little bit than Delta nine. Well, what started it was, was forbidden fruit. Here I am, like I was dropping an order off and there's a person from out of state and they're going, I can't believe this is THC. They thought it was, you know, synthetic or whatever. Now, once they tried it, that was the big thing. And I'm sorry, Abby, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No. Um, well, no, that's that's a, okay. I was just going to say that, yeah, once you, once you try it and you compare it to Delta 9 and you compare it to CBD, like it's, it's more euphoric and it's not um like the delta nine high when you get too high and you just want to take the hoodie and and take the strings and just squeeze it and only see through the people <laughs> you know it's it's not like that where you just get too much in your head yeah and um and it's not cbd that you're not exactly gonna feel it like you're gonna get those creative um thoughts and um but still be able to be productive so well, i i really enjoy it mark cool. step is a convert it's what singularly made me believe in QAnon. <laughs> it's why I keep bringing it up. Is that up. good or bad? <laughs> it doesn't really matter. You know, I'm good with it either way. No. Um, it's what it is. I, I use it for helping me sleep and it's been great. I don't think I've ever taken it during waking hours to see the quote euphoric effect, but it does do more for my sleep schedule than straight up CBD. Cool. And then the other quirky little thing that happened, one thing about this, like I said, it's totally customer driven. It's the people playing with it, seeing what they liked. Then we started getting more stage four cancer patients, which was, once again, didn't see this happen, you know, because of the internet. Now things can go this and most of the people have, you know, really hard oncology situations. They converse with each other. So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They started playing with it and they are thoroughly convinced that it, it, that it comes into the CB1 receptor, right? Works the exact same way as far as the TC9, Delta 9. And it enables when they take the CBD to have a more efficient uptake of the CBD because the two receptors work in conjunction. So now we have start, we've started getting basically real med, which is the irony of this. I find I just... It started out wreck and then went to med instead of med going to wreck it. And so now we have a huge group of people that are playing with this and finding that it does, like I said, fibromyalgia is one of the big ones. People who on the fiber, it seems to do just the, that extra notch up from what CBD does. But like what these other, what everybody says is it doesn't get on top of you. Whereas sometimes if you do too, too much Delta nine, it can, you know, it can. So, and that, which is the interesting thing, which all started this whole thing is where do you think this division is going? 
I mean, that whole CBD, THC, yeah. I would anticipate, again, as we move toward today, by the way, not today, yesterday, uh, the Charlotte's Web, a big hemp-derived CBD producer, they made their first deal to advance into the THC space. Again, when there's a triggering event, meaning it's legal. So we're not going to do it until it's legal, but I really do think there will be <laughs> big conversion but what's interesting what you what you might what kind of goes along what we we're saying the um thc company is a Stanford brothers outfit that they're investing in there they are particularly going for low thc it's still um a thc product it's not a cbd product that they're that they're making but it's not you know they're like how high can we blast this stuff kind of a wellness approach so i really do think we're going to see a big spectrum of kind of coming together and not having this kind of silly divide and having the sectors not be, oh, I'm THC or you're CBD or I'm Delta 8. The sectors will be, again, like I'm doing health and wellness. You're doing fiber for, you know, um, textiles and non-wovens. This other guy is doing uh, oil seed up in North Dakota for granola and stuff. So that those will be kind of, I think, more the sectors. Hopefully there will be less infighting, but who knows too? in this when is the hemp industry daily like gonna go into d8 because it's all coming from hemp we're gonna start ready believe me the ed bosses want to get more and more into it there's there's a lot of lot of interest i think we'll definitely be writing about more um but back to you i'm a, a funny spot to what what you guys mentioned i so i full-time cannabis and hemp reporter right and so i'm always looking for new trends and talking to smart guys like you and growers and uh, ma product manufacturers. I also have MS, multiple sclerosis, so I'm on tons of MS message boards. And I feel like I see more mind-blowing trend stuff on MS message boards. People are so tuned in to psychedelics or whatever the new thing, these stuff I've never heard of. I'm like, I do this for a living and I've never heard this. It is crazy how engaged patients really are you know, and not looking for just what the doctor told me. Well, that's what the, the whole thing about this. And I've had a couple heated discussions with people mm -hmm. about they this whole pharma, pharmacy top-down approach to this. And I keep trying to tell people who are getting ready to invest a lot of money because they, they want to do this basically FDA thing. And I'm telling you, telling them, it's this is going to be one of the few industries that is always going to be controlled by the consumer. Because for one thing, the background, you know, it's like I tried to explain. So now a person who's been a cannabis user for 20, 25 years, who has seen pharmaceutical companies basically tell them that it was totally a waste of time. Now they're going to trust them to source their cannabinoids. The one thing that has saved us at Tennessee Homegrown has been being small. It has, because there is no way if we were a large, like pharmaceutical type company that, you know, had eight figure sales, you can't pivot. You can't wake up one day. All right, guys, gals, we're doing D8. No, like you said, yeah. And so here it is, the thing that like us, we're building a new research kitchen. And the only thing is because we know we're a small company that if we can't do continual research, and be able to do it because the one of the revelations that has come to me off of this is the cannabis consumer has never at any one point been able to walk into one store 
and have all the options for cannabinoids and with the different delivery systems. So do we even know what the market is? Because people didn't know they wanted D8 until they got access to D8. People didn't know they liked smoking the hemp flowers until by golly, I like this. So now mm -hmm. that we're dwelling into the minor cannabinoids, how many of these new things like D10, THCP, these sort of things are going to end up taking a percentage of the population? Because at any time, like five years ago, if you'd have told me what part of the Dean Delta 9 market would be, it would be 75, 80%, 90%. Yeah. Now I'm I'm lowered that down to 60, mm -hmm. 70%. So 18 months, because it seems like almost every two years we get blindsided. So what's going to happen in two more years? Well, that brings me to a good question. Do you think uh, psychedelics are going to disrupt the hemp industry significantly and the THC side significantly? No, because- so much what about it, psychedelics. Huh? I hear so much about psychedelics. Well, they're awesome. <laughs> How many have you been doing yet? Yeah. <laughs> Do you think it'll be- People will well, leave the cannabis. No, 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 no. Because this is the one of the things about my analysis on the market. What it's going to be is that maybe 7%. It's just like CBD. Everybody thought by the year 2025 that it was going to be like a 20 billion. No, yeah. it ain't going to be that much bigger than what it is now. Because as a bunch of the people found out, really wasn't CBD what I wanted. I wanted something a little bit more. Then that part of that market's going to go to D8. Mm-hmm. Me and you always know that probably 55, 60% of the cannabinoid market will be Delta, Delta 9. What, 12,000 years of doing this drug? Don't think it's going to go away. But as people get to find the minor cannabinoids and find those cannabinoids that either fit their lifestyle or the conditions that they suffer from. So it's all going to be one big happy family. And also the, the, the other thing which is interesting that once again, the pharmaceutical companies can do. We got people who are buying a little bit of D8, then they're mixing it with a little bit of live resin CBD, and they're making their own little type, you know, mixed, mixed whatever you want to call it, mixed cannabinoids, because it, it fits them. And that's what I was saying, that revelation with it, you know, when people found out, oh my God, there's a huge, like I, people argue with me that D8 was going to go away. As soon as a state got wrecked, it was going to go away. And it's like, no. No, it's not. It's going to, in fact, it's going to take part of the D9 market. And it's, you've lost your mind. And now that same person that I said to, which is from Colorado, said, called me up the other day and says, I get it. You know, I understand that. So we have no idea what the market is or the, the, how that all relates. I mean, ideally, hemp is at this point, it really is just if you talk about hemp, you're talking about fiber, you're talking about seed oil. Everything is everything else is a version of a cannabinoid. Mm -hmm. So what so what do you think? Is it hemp industry daily gonna make that because it's there is going to be a part of the market that needs to cover that as far as what you do, but are you drawn where the money is? Yeah, you mean low THC cannabinoids or covering the fiber oil side? Well, the, but what I'm saying is right now, you guys are making your revenue off oh, of what? Yeah. Uh, nothing right now. <laughs> no, this outfit makes all their uh, business from events. 
which are right now. So when they come back, yeah, I don't know though. The question will be what I think the goal, this is just my sense. The goal is to be the, every industry has a show that you just have to go to. I'm in the carpet business. We all have to go to this thing every year. Not like I need to learn anything new about carpet, but it's just where you go. If you're in this business to see what's new, what's next, make connections, you know, that kind of thing. So I think that is the goal to when uh, the pandemic recedes and business travel comes back, which I think will be slow though, um, is to kind of be that. And I can see like less and less of a divide. I think, I'm curious your sense. I think a lot of people just wanted uh, on the hemp side to, you know, maybe avoid any association with the THC side. That goes away so quickly because it's so silly. Um, I think they started Hemp Industry Daily with the sole purpose of not just covering the side of the industry that needs it, but also capturing basically advertisers, sponsors, an audience that was just never going to participate in anything with the word marijuana in the name, whether it's kind of like a big tractor company, a John Deere of the world, you know, um, Costco, Walmarts of the world, big retail, big manufacturing, those kinds of outfits. Well, I can imagine that if you fast forward 10 years, will, uh, or maybe not 10 years, but, you know, will Walmart and John Deere and all them be so scared of something with marijuana in the name? I doubt it. I really doubt it. So I honestly don't know. Yeah, again, if there's a future of, again, if it's just kind of a spectrum of cannabinoids or uh, versus other uses of the plant and that could stand alone as, as a side thing, there will, I think, be, even though it's cannabinoid production dominates hemp and is very different than true fiber or grain production, there is, you know, a good maybe side market in either like waste matter, biomass, other things you can do with the plant, just like a zillion things you can do with corn that's not feed it to cows or your family that could be, you know, merit its own publication to cover, but it's certainly going to be a small shadow of the cannabinoid market, I think, forever. I've noticed the proliferation of, of I guess, versions of hemp industry dailies yeah. from, uh, from Europe. And it's interesting to see their take on it versus your take mm -hmm. on it. Uh, there they, you can see that the those uh, publications, um, it really, I'm not sure if they have to be that way, dominated by fiber and sure. some seed oil. Yeah. But in, in having to skirt, it, which is kind of the weird, the whole EU thing about, because at one point EU dominated the fiber market. Sure. But now they seem to be sort of this trying to scramble. I mean, desperately scramble to try to get mm -hmm. some sort of footing with yourself when you're talking to people out there what are you hearing from from folks i mean i especially like the fiber and the seed yeah i am so interested in mexico let me tell you why because you're right the us we're so far behind the eu canada lots of places that have allowed hemp production for so long but they didn't again they either really limited production to fiber grain uses or put such limits on it that it never really competed well with other older fibers and grains, canaf and jute and flaxseed and all that kind of stuff. But Mexico is doing is they're kind of 
hope we think within the next few months at least legalizing both at the same time they would be kind of the first doing that right now you can't grow hemp in mexico they have extremely limited medical mostly imports um so to to like unleash both at the same time and really allow the market to kind of decide where folks fall i think is going to be fascinating and there is no doubt to me um, Mexico will be much more disruptive. Like when you think of going to the grocery store, you walk through the produce section, how much stuff do you see in the produce section that was grown in Canada? But half the stuff there was grown in Mexico. There's a big hemp producer um, in Texas, Village Farms. They are, this is a Canadian outfit. They are the largest tomato and lettuce producer in the U.S. And they pivoted completely to hemp in Texas. And the reason was because they say we can't compete with Mexico on tomatoes. So we're gonna try to compete on a hemp in freaking Texas? I know, yes. So let's see what happens when Mexico can grow hemp too, because it's hard to- oh, But hold it, hold it though. There's a reason why throughout yeah. the history of growing hemp, hemp is not grown usually from 25 degrees north or south of the equator. And there is a reason why that even, and so I'm going to be curious, what, what are going to be these hemp varieties that really do well equatorial? I think uh, grown indoors, I, you're right, I think it's a good point. Well, that's what I'm saying is, there's a, a group trying to raise $11 million right now to grow in the U.S. Virgin Islands. That is, oh my God, it, it's just like, oh my, seriously. That is the dumbest thing I have ever heard. <laughs> and, but I keep seeing these people do this, right? Mm -hmm. Why does anybody think they can compete with U.S. farmers? We're the most badass farmers on the planet. We can make, the American farmer can make any crop worthless. <laughs> that's very true, yeah. And that's what I'm saying. So I had these people like Colombia. Did you see the thing where they were gonna grow hemp down in Colombia? Well, that tanked because, you know, as I was talking, because one of the guys wanted to hire me to come down there. And I said, why? I said, I, I can struggle here. <laughs> I mean, it's much easier. But he said, well, we got cheap labor. And that thing, labor doesn't mean anything when it comes to hemp. Why? Well, are you familiar with hemp flax? Mm -hmm. The company uh, in Europe? Yep. Started by Ben Dronkers. They have machinery to where two people, two people can plant and take care of a field of 2,000 hectares. Two people. Wow. Where's the labor? Where's the labor in that? Because Ben Drockers has went in and, and automated every part of this. Because this is the thing that's going to go happen to hemp. And I think you're starting to see it, aren't you? Is that people now are starting to breed the genetics for the equipment. For sure. Once that happens, then this whole high high labor sort of way to do producing cannabinoid is gone. I mean, you know the guys that are doing they're breeding the, the three foot auto flowers, and one of the reasons why they're doing it is it can be easily harvested by machine. So mm -hmm. when people tell me that in tech, all right, you see it. You talking to, to Texas, right? What's all the success stores growing hemp outside in Texas? Oh, they'd have no success outside yet. And that's what I'm saying is, so why is it, is a kilowatt hour that much cheaper in yeah. Texas than it is in Washington state yeah. where you got hydro? 
And, and, that, and, that, and I don't think power is cheap in Texas anymore. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, where do you see the trends as far as automation? Me? Yeah. You're, oh, you're the one yeah, out there finger on the pulse. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> totally on the way. It will go very much the way, like, honestly, I am really, I hope you, to, you know my um, colleague, Laura Drotlev. She, yeah. yeah, she comes from Greenhouse Grower. And so she used to be on the uh, board of the American Horticultural Association, Women in Horticulture. She knows a lot about ornamental production, like begonias and petunias and, you know, how automated that side of the industry is, you know, and you need to think of the kind of um, scale, the kind of, you know, um, the kind of thing it would take to put as we have like, you know, um, uh, you know, Easter lilies in every grocery store in Walmart in America within a two week span, all in bloom, you know, engineering and kind of supply chain management that, Again, it's not people. They're very automated. I think absolutely it's going to really change. I think once those big guys really start getting into, I think it's horticulture. Um, it, indoor um, cannabis production is largely the same, the same, not very different than growing, um, um, you know, other kinds of ornamentals. Um, so I, I think it will be really dramatic. But I'm curious, do people come to you often wanting to pitch you on this, that, and the other machine? Continually. Fail pitch. Huh? But, but the thing about it is, and but this is the whole thing, the automate. All right. I love to talk about one of the articles that you guys put in. It was an opinion from a lady who came in and did an analysis of the market about actually how much was cannabinoids was needed. And I can't remember. Yeah. Oh, the, I know. I know. The pan exchange. Yes. Turner. Okay. Telling so, people not to toll. So, Yes. So, but here's the, that's what I'm saying is this, you know, everybody keeps thinking it's corn. It's not 10,000 acres would do everything in North America, Mexico included, mm -hmm. Canada, all of it. So we, even if you do can automate, it's not needed. Yeah. I mean, that's the whole, I think the whole fallacy about this is that there's going to be this continual expansion on cannabinoids and people don't realize you came from mad wreck over to hemp industry daily, right? Mm -hmm. Nobody's growing 50,000 pounds of wreck. Yeah. Because they, the market's not that big. And somehow all these people have convinced themselves that we need millions of kilos of distillate when we don't. That's what the whole point of, about what's going on here is and like okay are you still talking to people that are planning on getting this into the i mean really huge and aren't people like cw dinosaurs at this point i don't know i mean no they don't grow that much you know well, no but their market shape over the last two years has continued to decrease why yeah. do you think so uh, oversaturation and, and no one that I, no one, I really don't think anyone has managed to distinguish why my product is different, better, whatever than uh, other things on the market. I also think to your point earlier about kind of craft uh, friends and neighbors stuff, the best selling point, you can see all the like CNN documentaries and whatever. If you've got a neighbor that had something and, and found a 
product that works for them, that is so much more effective in terms of making you want to try it and convincing you to, you know, yeah, give it a shot. Then, you know, what, you know, they see Charlotte's web now has a big, I think for she's from Kellogg, Kellogg company. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yes. But some, some big CB, some big CPG consumer packaged goods, know how Johnson and Johnson and um, they, these kinds of outfits, you know, like, okay, we're going to make this, you know, bring this to every Costco, Walmart, and Kroger. There's still a strong, like you said, there's still a strong uh, compulsion to, to like try stuff that my friends know and have, have worked for them. So I'm very curious to see where, I don't know if there, there are dinosaurs and dying, but I do think that maybe, maybe the stuff you see in a Costco and a Walmart, maybe that's your toe in, but it's not as compelling as, a, you know, craft production but it's at a smaller scale. You just can't, you can't really easily nationally scale. I think can't put that magic in like a big national bottle and be like, Oh, this is the elixir everybody needs. I am really curious about this one thing is why have a lot of these CVS, CW, I mean, there's dozens of these companies because a lot of them have gone out, out of business. How did they misjudge the market so badly? That is a fabulous question. Like you said, when, all the projections are up, up, up with no end in sight. It's kind of, you know, ridiculous. I uh, also have been just floored. So we have a media partnership with Nielsen. They are the super smart market analytics. They know, they know when you need toilet paper before you do. They just know the amount they know about the American consumer. They're so smart. So they give us these projections and you know, we have to look at the assumptions, right? The, Nielsen, I think smartest guys in the room, they had this, again, I'm dating myself, this is a few months ago, but they their assumption was that the FDA or Congress would make a clear path for CBD by the first quarter of 2021. And I thought, have, what? I mean, here we are, we're days away. There is no way the FDA or Congress in the middle of a pandemic we're trying to get a vaccine to everybody. Everything going on is going to be like, you know, what we really need to do is clear a path to market for CBD. <laughs> you know, I just think even happening this year, maybe even next year is optimistic. So where I'm going with this is I don't know why they are misjudging so badly because it seems like these aren't stupid people, but have you covered anything that went through FDA in a matter of two quarters? And so many of the companies went through these, I think Charlotte's Web is one, raised so much money thinking, oh yeah, anytime now Congress is gonna, gonna, you know, step in and fix this. Or anytime now FDA is gonna give us certainty and we're gonna be the guys that benefit. The thing that gets me though, Kristen, is you guys at Hip Industry Daily were doing the numbers. I mean, I'm serious. I mean, I, I'd like to think that we're above average intelligence at Tennessee Homegrown. But we sat down with a calculator and we started looking at how many people were growing, how many people were doing processing. And it was just like, oh, my gosh, are they not seeing this? And then the was it euphoria of the fact that CBD had a good run, but they just thought, oh, my God, we're going to have 200, 300 percent you know, increase in people using it. Yeah, there was some. Yeah, I think so. And I think I would say our estimates about more conservative than others, but but what you you know that doesn't that doesn't get anybody excited, um, and I think even our estimates were still too high for sure. I think there was a real 
you, you definitely see it in your area, real thirst from struggling farmers to find something to make them rich and a real thirst in the long time, you know, cannabis operators and something to, you know, get them access to loans and not have all these, you know, be operating in the illicit market and all the headaches that that brings that, oh, this is this magic, you know, this is going to continue at this rate. And yeah, I think it's crazy. I think but that happens over and over again, whether it's like the dot-com boom, there was a big echinacea boom in the <laughs> early 90s where people, yeah, they were like $400 a kilogram for like high-grade echinacea. And there was like pfft, mass overproduction. And then, you know, people still take echinacea, uh, but nobody is like an echinacea billionaire, <laughs> you know? Here's what cracks me up. We get so much interest and so many, whenever we do a story about animal feed, um, people go nuts and I shake my head. And so does my colleague, Laura, who grew up in a cattle farm. It's like, is there anybody getting rich like in the hay business or in the straw business? Any big fortunes built on oats? I don't know if people know, like animal feed is sold by the ton. I'm not saying it's not a, an interesting part of the market, particularly with the kind of your waste material or material that's not usable for a health and wellness product. But where is this idea that this is going to be a huge part of the market. I just don't see it. Do you guys see something I'm not seeing about animal feed? Well, no, I'm going back to your exact same thing. Like, um, I don't know whether like gold mine or whatever, mm -hmm. that perfectly rational people in mm -hmm. every other part of their life, when it comes yeah. to this plant, seem to have a really hard time being objective. One of the things I would like and I think what this is doing is it's preventing us, the market from consolidation, because we still have all these people coming in, not because of economic reasons. Yeah. They're more as activists or I'm going to yeah. save the planet or whatever. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. The, the elusive consolidation of the market, which I thought is going to happen for one or two years. When do you see it happen? I don't know if it does. Again, I don't know if I, or if the big, operators that we think, well, why did you do this? Why did, where did you think this was happening? Get out. And it goes back to kind of the artists and craft friends and neighbors production, because I don't think there is a lot of runway for this again, like 25 billion a year, but you know, 300% growth. I just don't see that for this product. So I think the big guys get out. So how does that affect your trade shows and hemp industry daily? Well, I don't know. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I think the good news for me and you is, is that first off that, that they were hoping maybe the, again, those big guys would come in and, you know, write the big you know, six figure checks, but they haven't really, I think there's still a lot of interest in talk and discussion among again, craft artists and producers that are not interested in scaling nationally or globally are much more interested in really new ideas and talking about kind of what they're seeing in their communities. And I really can see that that's, you know, the big guys, I, I, for, for the pandemic, at least uh, not, you know, going to going to focus on their core lines of business. Um, I can see a lot of them getting out and I'm curious, you know, again, what's the future of, is that going to be a show where you have three or four big Sam's club, uh, Walmart target companies kind of leading the discussion. I don't know but I doubt it. I can see like there really being a room for. How does, uh, because the, the, your expo 
what is your expo called that you do? And MJ BizCon, MJ BizCon, Marijuana Business Conference. How does your expo become the one that has to be gone to? I used to joke that the, the fastest way to get rich in cannabis was to set up shop telling other people how to get rich in cannabis. Um, uh, in, in seriousness, though, I do think that lasts, the runway lasts a little longer uh, for people envisioning, um, you know, something, either it's a product they've used for a long time or kind of grown in the basement, very small backyard production and want to make it a, make it a career. I think that lasts a little longer, but I think even going for, forward, there will be people recently, uh, my company, again, this looks kind of silly now, but in January, my company bought um, the Emerald Scientific Conference. These are like, uh, which is a, a show, if you're familiar um, of like basically lab and extractor mm -hmm. or super PhDs, you know, want, we want to sit and have talk about, you know, the isomers of the, you know, that kind of thing. I think there are, is a place to provide those kinds of discussions. And I think there's interest there. Again, I don't think it's going to be, you know, like the snow show. Anyway, I don't think that's the future for cannabis. Well, no, but I want to go back to your BizCon because now that we got you on there, so what are you, like me, I've went to a few of these things. I've never went to any out there. What, how do you get me to come to your conference? Oh, it's just to say, you'll, you'll um, meet the smartest <laughs> other people doing uh, what you're doing that aren't dabblers. Also, I know this sounds so cheesy, but um, kind of where the business started was leveraging good journalism and smart business content I do think you get more actionable intelligence and it's easier to digest and you come away feeling like that was really interesting. And then if you don't want to um, even attend the content, I do think the, the show floor, again, there's no, no booth babes or booth bunnies, um, you know, oh. it, it feels a little different <laughs> than a typical show. Although I have a great, a great, um, if this is a, a show coming up, NOCO, uh, and it's, it's a big hemp show, probably the biggest show in hemp. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was there. This is, it's in obviously Northern Colorado. I was there this a couple of years ago and I am embarrassed. I cannot remember the business, but I, I'm walking around with my editor. There is a very attractive woman at a booth, topless, laying on her stomach though, getting a tattoo on her back, you know? And I'm like rolling my eyes or except she was the owner of a, she was selling a product that was a CBD for tattoo aftercare. And it was her company and she was doing deals and signing up contracts while getting a tattoo. I was like, you know, I usually judge the booth babes, but <laughs> that's awesome. You can sit there and get a tattoo and set up new contracts for your, uh, she was like hyper niche. Of course, my product is for tattoo aftercare. I'm super into tattoos. So I was like, that I can re totally respect it. That's a uh, that's good TV. Oh yeah, it was excellent. I was like, we're sitting there, we're like, oh, actually, that's the coolest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> that's a saleswoman. I know, I know. You mentioned something here, which I'm intrigued is is that this steady evolution as women become more and more. Basically, we have more women than we do men. A couple times, I be I was going to try to do some things that. I thought was going down that line. The ladies in the business said, no, this is too cheesecake. You can't do this. Mm -hmm. And so here is this place. 
you know, we, you know, 96, like I said, if you went to a, a cannabis conference, you had yeah. ladies in t-shirts that were too, oh, yeah, yeah. that was it. That was part of the whole, what do you mm-hmm. want to call it? Glorified 12 year old yeah. mentality. So when we come into this, there are a few women then, and I'm not going to name them, but they use their sexuality to sure. in, in, do their business. How's that song? How is all this going to fall out? I don't know. I just did this panel today. Um, I'm so interested. McKinsey just did a big report about women in the pandemic. No secret that uh, they say women have been uh, disproportionately affected in terms of um, taking on so many additional uh, child and caregiving duties. And particularly women of color, when someone in the family gets sick, it tends to fall to a female to be the caregiver. When schools close, and someone's got to, you know, teach the kids, it tends to fall to, long story short, McKinsey had a report that one in four women in a survey say they're seriously considered permanently leaving the workforce, which is just shocking. So I'm kind of curious how the, because I think you're right, I think hemp is so cool that it's relative to other ag, relative to the THC space, so many female executives and females and really making big business decisions. I'm curious how the pandemic affects that. And I want to know what you guys think. Well, we're insular in that we're, uh, I mean, as much as we study through you guys, what's going on, we have our own little insular company. So those aspects haven't, I don't know, I'm probably, Abby, help me. (laughs) Women naturally take on sometimes a lot more than they can chew. And that leaves them vulnerable to, to that. But I think if anything, this pandemic has taught people that, you know, they are responsible for their own, you know, well-being and career when there's so much unemployment, you know, people are really figuring out how they want to live. And, um, you know, I think a lot of women have built amazing businesses during this pandemic. Um, I'm seeing a lot of um, different companies come on with female leaders that, you know, as much as a, um, you know, common thing that it is to happen for women to take on these uh, roles of being caregiver, I still don't think that that holds them back from being total badasses. <laughs> so you don't see there'll be a flood of, you know, women leaving the industry or a problem of women leaving the industry? Uh, the cannabis industry in particular? Yeah, yeah, cannabis and hemp in particular. I mean, I think I think if anything, this is a baby industry that women can fucking dominate. I think that women right now are more liberated and have less restraints than ever. As much as, you know, we point out these inequities, I think that still we're living in a time that, you know, is is very different from our grandparents. More Mm -hmm. open, I guess, to, you know, Boy Scouts being girls and and stuff like that. Like it's mm-hmm. it's um almost like this Woodstock. I don't want to call it Woodstock. Actually, that's the wrong word. Darbo, maybe help me. But like, all right. Well, p- part of what I see that is here is why in a lot of industries, Krista and I would exist because there's already the glass ceilings and a mm-hmm. hierarchy of males. Because we all know that you know minorities and women are the last hired, first fired. Mm-hmm. It's just one of those things. But in an industry where there is no establishment. Literally. That's, that's yeah. 
there is no glass ceiling here because there's no ceiling. Ceiling for anybody, yeah, that's a good and, point. And the gatekeepers, like myself, okay, I'm, I'm dependent on the women in this company, totally dependent on them. And, and mm -hmm. because for one thing, there is not, as we're making this up as we go, I have to have the best and the brightest. Mm -hmm. So I'm not hiring Chip because I went to school with Chip. Yeah. And so here, really, if there's a business right now that is a meritocracy, cannabis is it. If you're smart enough and bright enough, you can get out and hustle. I mean, I've told you this before. We've Our company has helped incubate a, of several companies. The majority of them are women. Part, you know, not to be too like I helped them, but they knew they wanted to get a business, right? Mm -hmm. And all it took was someone to say, okay, when do we start? It was that simple. Because for the first time, someone didn't tell them a whole bunch of reasons why you can't do this. And so I don't think like in banking or any of these other traditional things, engineering, engineering is a perfect one, that you've had these male engineers who, who ran the schools, ran the institutions. All right, here, people basically in cannabis are for the most part self-taught. Mm -hmm. I mean, I can't re remember the lady in there. It's in um, Colorado. She's one of the badass processors in Colorado. She went out, made that happen. Yeah. And you, to your point, like at a, at a show like BizCon or any show, when people are networking, you never hear where'd you go to school? which is different than a lot of industries. Yeah, for sure. Um, because there is no school. There's, there's no school. <laughs> there's very few programs. I know that Colorado has one. Um, their School of Agriculture, I believe, at the University of um, Colorado. Colorado State. Here. That's the ag school. Yeah, Colorado State, yeah. So they, you know. Is Tennessee all... the ag school in Tennessee? I know they don't have a vet school. TSU, TSU is an ag school, and they do have a hemp program. TSU is um, UT Knoxville, UT Chattanooga. I'm not too sure if they have a um, hemp program in their ag school, but I'm sure they have a small ag school. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think like Jarbo said, with women in this industry, it is a, a baby and there's no rules. So do you think there will be any long-term negative impacts from coronavirus on, or the pandemic on the hemp side of this cannabis industry? Oh, I mean... For sure. I think there's a lot of people that have lost money for sure, thinking that they wanted to grow hemp and or wanted to have their own product that they didn't really know too much about. It was kind of like the free for all in terms of, you know, CBD, it's the, it's the buzzword. Let's start a company. Uh, let's grow it. You know, there's a lot of people that just came in to do that because they wanted to, to give it a shot, which there's nothing wrong with. But you do see a curve right after, you know, there's a mass influx of something like there's always a uptrend, there's always a downtrend. And yeah, there's going to be a commoditization of the market. There's going to be the big players and the, the minor players. And that's not going to really, I mean, it's panning out now, but that's not. Um, and I think it was very much affected by the coronavirus. I think mm -hmm. the coronavirus was just kind of the thing on top that weeded people out faster. It was a catalyst yeah. um, for sure. And you know, the people that are still here now, I think, are are the real players. And what is going to be the next really important thing for this industry is creating 
a legitimacy around it, like having um, COAs be an expectation and people like able to understand it. Like the lay person should know, you know, what a an organic plant is and which brands are organic, like they do at the grocery store when they see private mm -hmm. collection versus, you know, the organic symbol. Like there's there's gonna need to be a nutrition label and an understanding of that, like there is in California and Colorado when you go into a dispensary. Like there's the the problem is that so many states are different in terms of what they have on their uh, packaging rules. So the consumer is very confused and you have to create a standard, right? And going back to the first topic of, are we gonna have these new rules? Like, are they actually gonna be implemented? Um, I think is, is, is the responsibility of the industry itself one, and you know, hopefully we'll catch on or be enforced mm -hmm. now, you know? I, I think the whole thing with the pandemic, what it did, and I think it wasn't, you know, hemp, I don't think suffered anything more than any other business. What it did was it showed the weaknesses and profit models and how people had their business, irregardless of whether you sold cheeseburgers or you sold paint or whatever. And because we were talking about that earlier, about with how a couple of years ago, these companies that were real big didn't see what was going on. Mm -hmm. Well, the pandemic made everybody in the can cannabis business kind of pivot and have to re-examine their profit models. This would have happened eventually. It might've been two or two more years out, but it just made what was, you know, like I said, if your whole thing was bent, your whole profit model was economy of scale, which is for a lot of these bigger companies was their holy grail, was if we get big enough, we can get efficient enough, we can get our margins big enough. Turned out that wasn't the truth, but those companies probably could have held on for another couple of years. Mm -hmm. The pa pandemic just, you know, went, nope, everybody's on steroids now, mm -hmm. no matter what your business is. Like uh, Laura, right? Mm -hmm. she She's in Ohio, right? Yeah. Well, she's never going to come back to Denver to work in the office. That's never going to happen. So all these businesses who had put off embracing technologies, culture or this, whatever, it got forced on. And, and that's so that was the big thing to me with what happened in cannabis was, is that everybody was in love with the margins. Well, the pandemic killed those margins. And because of it, now that, you know, you had to examine, why is it that we have, we're giving away thousands of dollars at trade shows and we're not getting anything from it? Why are we, why are we sending people to trade shows? You know, the whole, everything about it. Why am I, why are we doing a bunch of things? And it got forced on it. And, and which is back to, will this pandemic hasten the centralization and the consolidation of the cannabis business. I'm curious. <laughs> no, you're supposed to have answers. <laughs> Why are we have you on here? I mean, how many? Oh, just out of curiosity. How many questions? In the course of a, a week or so, how many different people do you talk to? Probably uh, 20 to 50 that are in the hemp space. Uh, I, I don't talk to nearly as many. If I'm at a show, again, when, when that was possible, I met a lot more. Uh, I did more reporting than I kind of got 
pulled into the editing side. Now I'm doing more reporting again. So it kind of depends, you know, what the story is, but not every week is the same, I would say. You've been doing this for how long? I mean, talking to 20 to 50 people. Oh, I've been, I've been doing this since I was 22. So like 25 years. Okay. But that's what I'm saying is you're the one that we should be asking about what you're seeing and what you, since you got this much input, don't you kind of, if anybody has more of an idea where this is going, it's you. Are you perplexed as the rest of us? I am absolutely perplexed about where it's going. I'm like with you, never saw a smokable coming, never saw D8 coming. What's your next biggest question? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. what's you're asking us like how, where we see it going. Where do you? I don't know. I don't. I'm, I'm interested how many people um, kind of the OGs that were real innovators go to psychedelics entirely um, or, and work on that and find that more rewarding. But I don't know, you know, we're uh, as a publication, not planning to get into psychedelics and say, you know, that's a, that's a, that's an interesting, fascinating business, more power to them. It's a different kind it's different business then. Um, so they probably have plenty of fine business publications. It's curious to me how many hemp and cannabis Outfits are really putting a lot of attention to psychedelics. NOCO, like I was mentioning earlier, this big hemp show, they have a whole session at their investor panel about psychedelics, which strikes me as odd. I don't, you know, I don't know, maybe it is the same folks that are into both, but strikes me as strange. Is this an extenuation of this trying to find the next hot thing? Yes, I think so. uh, Yeah, to me, yes. Because it was so funny, you know, to me, the CHG, no, or CBG, I'm sorry, Yeah, is the poster child of one of those things where people thought that was going to be the next big thing, plowed a huge amount of money into genetics, this, that, mm-hmm. and the other, only to find out, well, once again, the consumer never really wanted it. Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of curious to see when I see a bunch of people and how many of these people that are wanting to get into, you know, the... Uh, psychedelics really have experience in it mm-hmm. is this going to be a bunch of people giving seminars on 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 different types of mycelia that they only thing they know of is because they they saw the googled it <laughs> yes and isn't that kind of a weird segue i mean going from cannabinoids to hallucinogens sure well no How, what did you when you first heard about it being at noco what did you think well, yeah, I, I, it does strike me as like not, you're right. I think if maybe there's some people who, um, again, either want to try the next sexy thing or um, frankly are, you know, long time illicit market folks that, you know, they're like, I'm kind of over this big corporatization of big cannabis. I'm kind of, you know, and I also like psychedelics and this is much more interesting and, and cozier and more comfortable and kind of where I've been. But I think there's a little bit of that, you know, again, the people that had been growing cannabis in the illicit market. Maybe some of them have been producing psychedelics in the illicit market as well, or like seeing signs they can dabble there. Or is it, or is it sharing a demo demographic? Because one of the things now that you're speaking about this, you know, I post as the old hemp farmer, right? One yeah. of the groups that picks up and posts my stuff is the Nashville Psychedelic Society, <laughs> which now that you mentioned, it's like I always thought was kind of okay. all right but is it the the people are now because of the way that marketing is and how you're just 
you're trying to find that. If you can share a niche demo with somebody, come on in. Yeah, does it feel more authentic to, you know, uh, maybe someone that was using CBD or uh, low tea hemp basically before it was legal to grow and use? Maybe they feel more comfortable and I don't know, you know, oh, or see yeah. some. <laughs> Uh, I don't know. I don't think psychedelics are going to be, you know, the next aspirin either. So yeah, I think there's a big element also chasing the new hot thing with, like you said, unsustainable margins and kind of a little, a very ambitious idea of how big it's going to get. And what, one thing that strikes me, and I'm kind of curious your thoughts. One, I remember hearing this years ago at one of our shows, someone said, you know, the people talk all the time about first mover advantage. There's not a lot of demonstrated, you know, what really is first mover advantage because you were the first guy in, are you going to be the first jillionaire in, in some industry? And it's not really, I don't think really holds water much. So I'm curious, same thing in psychedelics, are people going there now thinking, well, cannabis hemp's played out, but I'm going to be the first mover. And I think there's always a first mover. Huh? I think there's always a first mover. Yeah, but it's a big first mover advantage is what I mean. Like, Oh, yeah. I mean, absolutely. That's how I think the people that can get the first mover advantage plus the uh, brand loyalty is where you actually have those Charlotte's webs, right? Like it, there is such thing as first mover advantage because experience is advantage, right? And well, yeah, back, Abby, also, back though, to it's timing, though. Yeah, but back, Abby, to the place you, where you were, I love this story where you saw the handwritten D8 sign. Mm -hmm. If you still go there, do they now have kind of a whole section or is it? Oh, it's a whole a little handwritten note. No, it's it's a whole um, cake, yep. you know, and that's where we have our products. It's first mover advantage, but, you know, it's also quality. And I know there's been different rotations of companies going through there that are now you know, kind of the, the first movers and we've, we've been in some stores that first mover. And so there's a marketplace forming, like there's demand for different quality, mm -hmm. you know. But if you get out too far ahead, you can be punished. And mm -hmm. just like with Tennessee Homegrown, the perfect example, when I naively first got into this, I thought all the, th the networks to be able to sell the product would be there. We got dressed up, we got a product, and I realized, oh my God, I don't have a distribution system. So it was another two years before there was outlets and people wanting to put it on shelves and calling us up. So the thing about the hallucinogens are, or any of this other stuff, if you can time it, because especially, you know, product launches, like are a bear. I mean, they cost money. You have to do the marketing with all of it. So is it better to be second and be best? Because <laughs> for one thing, you let somebody else stumble. You get to do a little bit on this, especially with something like hallucinogens, which mm -hmm. I, I'm sorry, I'm just going to sound really old and dated. I can't see hallucinogens being mainstream. I sure can. Well, but what are you going gram, grandma's going to do a, you know, three or four grams of psilocybin at her, at the birthday party. 
No, I mean, I, I just, I know that they're starting to use it for like CBT therapy, like it's being studied at a university level, you know, that's higher education. And that's how cannabis, you know, studies started and now it's legal. So, you know, I think it's going to be something that like every other thing that we've studied, like something that takes time, especially if it's not legal, you know, but But how much of a market is market? Oh, a market? I mean, have you ever done psychedelics? Like there's- Yeah, I have. But what I'm saying is I don't do them that (laughs) often. And it's just like- My generation sure does. Okay. Well, maybe once again, maybe there'll be some Tennessee homegrown mycelia at some point. Yes. You know. (laughs) (laughs) All right. What else is going on out there now? I mean, all right. You talk to that many people. What is the some of the cool shit you're hearing? Honestly, I think we've gone over everything. I don't really have any next big hot things. We're hearing a lot about Delta 8. Uh, you guys, as you know, and psychedelics, synthetics, what that does to the market, and of course, how um, when more jurisdictions, you know, what is what is this role of CBD or and the hemp side of the industry when there is the ability to go into the THC side? Um, how many people will stay hemp producers or they all pivot to higher THC products? I don't, I'm, I'm really curious to see. I don't think we have any good examples yet. That's why I said I'm so interested in Mexico. I think Mexico is just going to really disrupt uh, the industry. Doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be able to grow more, better or anything, but it's just going to be so much attention and interest. It'll be the biggest, they will be sandwiched between, right? Legal in Canada, legal in Mexico. How long does the U.S. hold out? All right. With that, do you got anything you want to plug? No, no, no. You're well, hit me up. I am always so honored to talk to you guys. We're always looking for your story ideas, what you're seeing in your space. I love the idea about like how states are going to be able to do all this if these rules take effect. This is Harold Jarbo, aka the old hemp farmer. I'm with Abby McCullough. Mark Stepp, and we're with Kristen Nichols, which cannot thank you enough, and we look thank forward to speaking with you again. Thanks so much, guys. I appreciate it. All right. All right. See ya. Bye. Full Contact Cannabis is a Tennessee Homegrown and Uppercut Media production. You can find Tennessee Homegrown on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Visit our website, tnhomegrown.com, for more background and information covered in our podcast. Full Contact Cannabis is created by Jarbo, the old hemp farmer. Audio recordist, Abby McCullough. Post-production services provided by Uppercut Media and can be reached at uppercutmedia.com.